Despite advances, there is still a significant gender gap in business leaders. Wincy Wong, in your work to reduce this gap, can you share a particularly striking example of empowering UK female entrepreneurs? Her Majesty's Treasury commissioned Alison Rose, who's the NatWest CEO, last year to issue a report on female entrepreneurship. So we embarked on this journey as a bank to issue what we now call um, the Alison Rose Review for Female Entrepreneurship, which is shortened to Rose Review. And the Rose Review, one of the major findings that we found, which we weren't expecting at the outset, but we did find, is that if we were to allow female entrepreneurs to start sustained scale businesses at the same rate as men, we would add £250 billion to the UK economy. I want to emphasize that this is not just a let's all do good, feel good, bit of charity, ESG, CSR type thing. There is a business case behind it, and it's critically important. This is a huge underserved population in the UK where there's enormous opportunity. Great. And female entrepreneurship is what we'll be exploring in today's conversation. Welcome to a special edition of the Knowledge Institute podcast where we talk with thought leaders about achieving resilience in the era of stakeholder capitalism. I'm Jeff Cavanaugh head of the Infosys Knowledge Institute, and today we're coming to you from London's iconic Abbey Road Studios. We are here with Wincy Wong at NatWest, head of the Rose Review Implementation, Empowering Female Entrepreneurs. Wincy was born and raised in New York, and now works in the UK at the leading edge of creative and disruptive innovation in the banking industry. An international speaker and a digital evangelist, Wincy is co-founder of the Royal Bank of Scotland's Girls Can Code Network and a founding member of Tech She Can, an organization of 100-plus corporates working together increase the number of women in technology. Quincy, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you very much. In your roles at NatWest, what were you doing prior to taking on this Rose Review position? I've done quite a wide variety of roles, I would say. I originally studied as a qualified accountant, so I am a certified public accountant back in the States. I used to run audits of hedge funds, private equity funds, investment management at Deloitte in New York. As I came over to the UK, uh, NatWest was one of the first places I worked at. And I started out as the finance director for looking after the real estate, but pretty much all our toxic assets. So he started me with real estate. And it was uh, straight after the crash. It was in 2009. And uh, at that time, you know, the RBS group of which NatWest is a part of, it um, was facing quite a lot of um, bad press, a lot of issues, biggest bailout in the world, so on and so forth. And uh, and I was looking after the, the property portfolio, moved on to look after their structured finance portfolio, which was also a very interesting time. And um, before I decided, after a while, that I really wanted to do something different, met the MD of digital and ended up there. Started running our digital teams and in particular, I watched the team grow, I think, from around 15 or 20 people when I first joined to probably over 300 by the time I left. So really right in the crux of when the huge amount of growth was happening in that space for all the banks, not just our bank. I was running our digital propositions team that was responsible for the future digitally-led customer experiences for the bank, in particular for our personal customers and our small business customers. Um, at the time, we were looking after both. And it was, I, I remember, completely very eye-opening and a huge, uh, I think, that point of satisfaction uh, of doing what I was probably meant to be doing for a long time. But I'm someone who, who's done quite a lot. Uh, very soon after that, I became head of innovation for our supply chain services. 
And I was very much looking at all the partnerships we do in the bank and um, all the innovation programs that we had across the bank, of which we had many going on. And we needed to figure out what we were doing with all these partnerships that we were doing. So I was doing that when the Rose Review got released. And because of my background and because I've also always been a bit of an entrepreneur on the side, and I do a lot of work in education, particularly in tech, from the Techshikan Charter. I lead our Enrich Education Workstream as well, um, looking at education for 10 to 13-year-old children across the UK, both boys and girls. And uh, because of all these kind of different aspects, Alison's and her office asked if I would take on the role to lead the implementation, of which I sprung at the chance definitely my dream job as far as I was concerned and have been busy running with it ever since. Well, no shortage of energy whatsoever. <laughs> Before we jump into the, the entrepreneur's piece, yeah. let's talk about those, you know, our, our president uh, company, Ravi Kumar, talks about the first 20 years, the middle and the last 20 years of life. And quite often people focus only on the, the work part. It seems that you've got a pretty, pretty good focus in those first 20 years, like those 10 to 13 year olds. <laughs> what is it about that age that, that that you're interested in and you think holds uh, potential for the future? So when I started working in, in digital, I think that's when I started noticing how different things were. I think when I was in finance, I felt a little bit more uh, gender equality, I would say, and a little bit more diversity. I felt it uh, probably a, a little bit less when I started working at a very British bank. But then there was a de desire for, for that change. It was when I got into digital and tech that I really felt it. Then all of a sudden, all the rooms I was in started changing, and I felt there was a tremendous need. And I started looking into it and turns out at that young age so I have a firm belief that things start at the home and they start very young before you even go into school in terms of forming your conceptions of what a man is what a woman is what you're being taught all kinds of things and what we found is that at the age of 10 about 72 percent of girls were interested in careers in tech and about 75 percent of boys so that's fairly even. Then um, PwC commissioned research to look at what it was like at the age of around 16, so GCSE age. And what we found is that girls were only 27% interested in careers in tech, and boys were about 67%. And of the girls, only 3% listed tech as their number one choice. And that was horrific to me because one thing that I can definitely say as a bit of a geek, a tech <laughs> and a digital native and all of that, is that tech is powering all parts of our lives now we can't live without it and to think that only half of our population is building most of those solutions is terrifying and um and there was that extreme need so so that was where that focus came from a texican charter slightly well on the side but interesting story to me anyway um it started out really when i uh started the the girls can code effort in the bank. So I can code myself and, and I found a few others who, who could and we decided there needed to be something about core tech. And then through that journey, I met a lot of other really kick-ass, amazing women in tech. And there were about 18 of us at the start. And we said, you know what, we're all doing things in our organization. Let's harness that energy and try to do it together to amplify. And we said, well, where is the area that's missing? What are people not focused on? And, and that was what we found 
And no one was focused on that education bit. And that 10 to 13-year-old, although they were focused on overall STEM education, they weren't focused on the inspirational part of education. And I think that's really important. So children and, uh, well, most people get inspired by role models. What we were hoping is actually not teaching them how to code at that young age, but giving them a flavor of what it could be like, what tech enables, and therefore hoping that later on in life that they go and choose that path. So that was set up, and, and now we're at over 140 organizations signed up in less than two years. I would say, and which has been absolutely tremendous. And it just goes to show what a huge focus this is for so many companies, both large and small across the UK. So you've tapped into something that was burgeoning. They just didn't know how to harness it. So it sounds like you've given an outlet. Maybe the time was right. It was. This is what I would say. I think I had faced, you know, I have all the usual stories about people talk about gender or race or misogyny and other, all the isms, I guess, that you would want to call it. And one thing I have a firm, strong belief in is to harness negative energy for good. So how do you take negative experiences that happen to you and turn it into something good for others or for yourself and to not focus on that negative? And that was why I had a tremendous amount of passion and energy to try to do and change things for that next generation. I mean, someone had to fight for women's right to vote, and now it's absolutely normal. You know, everyone would expect, would be horrified if women weren't allowed to. And that's the same when I think about careers and texts. How do we make it so that it is just normal for everyone to get involved? Why do you think there are relatively few female entrepreneurs, especially in uh, digital space? Well, I think it goes back to there's not enough going into tech to start. It's a pipeline. So across the UK, most recent studies show that only 22 to 23 percent of all STEM roles, so science, technology, engineering, maths roles in the UK are filled by women. And that is a stark contrast. If you drill down to tech, it's a lot lower. And even less are are going into studies in computer science and engineering versus even 20 years ago. So it's actually dropping. It's getting even lower. And that is, well, for me, I guess, really scary because, you know, there's data over and over again that people are dying because they aren't, um, systems aren't being built for them or, or right for them. Just the same things like, you know, how phones are built for men hands, because on average, you know, men have bigger, wider hands, et cetera, et cetera. So that's why, you know, women tend to get more issues with their thumbs when they're trying to type on these things. So all kinds of like everything from things as small as that to, to much bigger and wider implications. So in entrepreneurship itself. First of all, I think the, the leap into entrepreneurship takes um, a lot of courage uh, and a lot of ambition and a lot of passion to, to go into it. And I think uh, one of the things we found in the Rose Review, actually, is that the women were going into a lot of sectors that were less productive, like education, service, and and health, I believe. And actually, um, the most productive sectors in the UK, which are in financial services, technology, and manufacturing was where we found women were least represented, even when as little as they already are represented in an entrepreneurial ecosystem. So there is a definite um, causation, I think, (laughs) when you talk about it. it's, It's not just a happenstance. But because they're not studying tech roles, they're not going into it, they are much less likely to start businesses because most people do start businesses in areas where they are more familiar with. Makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> Once again, you're listening to the Knowledge Institute, the Abbey Road Sessions, where we're 
talking with thought leaders about achieving resilience in the era of stakeholder capitalism. We're here with Wincy, head of Rose Review Implementation, and tapping into the unrealized economic potential of female entrepreneurs. Wincy, given that, you certainly laid the case in the context of maybe what needs to be fixed. What are some of the things that you're doing in your role, uh, including with the folks of Parliament, uh, to make this make this a better place? Absolutely. Um, so it's important to remember, I think, uh, hugely excited that it was the government, Her Majesty's Treasury, who recognized the issue. And one of the things that Robert Jenrick, who was the MP at the time who commissioned the report, he had said was, look, we, we know there's an issue. Um, people talk about it all the time. Can we, can we do a proper in-depth study, which is what came out. And not some sugarcoating. Not some sugarcoating. As a real research review. Exactly. And one of the things um, that we did, so so the report itself, it's not a short report. It's 129 pages long. Um, and it one of the things that we did is that we not only looked across research in the UK, but we looked at other best-in-class countries in terms of research and to see what they were doing. And we compared how the UK was versus some of them. And and what we found is that, you know, the UK has a lot of way to go, I would say. And in terms of the ratio, only one in three entrepreneurs are, are women in the UK. So out there, we, we found um, a lot of the Nordic countries are doing right. They've had a tremendous success in closing the gender pay gap and, and other things as well. We found that Canada had a lot of really good policies and, and some really interesting things, which have helped them to change change the ratio of um, male to female entrepreneurs over time, and Australia as well. So those are a few. What about the Nordics? The thing is, some people in the U.S., for example, say, yeah, but some of the Nordics have population size of Atlanta. You know, they're small. <laughs> and so while it's wonderful what's going on, mm. how do you scale it to these larger populations? That's what's different also about the Rose Review. I think very much the implementation initiatives that we chose in the Rose Review we're looking at scale. There's a lot of really good work that happens in this space, I would say, all around the country by a lot of really amazing people. But what was most important to us is that actually we need to do something big. We need to do something at scale. So what can we learn from the other countries? And what can we come up with that's unique to the UK that we can change? Probably the the five top barriers that we found for female entrepreneurs were, which isn't probably all that surprising, I think, for those who, who are in the entrepreneurship space. Number one is access to finance. So what we found were that female entrepreneurs were asking for 50% less capital than the men. Um, we found that family care was an issue. Although a lot of female entrepreneurs went into business because of family care, they find it the biggest barrier to continue to sustain and scale their businesses. And what we also found is that in the UK, women were spending 60% more time on family care than men. And that is one of the major reasons. We also have the double hit where you have young children um, as one side of a spectrum, but then an aging population where the burden of that care also tends to fall on the female in the UK. Then you have um, things like risk awareness. So one thing we found is that the female entrepreneurs were more likely to start looking at many different aspects of an issue or many aspects of whether or not to go into a business before entering a business. And that, therefore, they were more cautious about starting businesses. 
there were a lack of networks. Only 30% of women knew someone else who was an entrepreneur. And we know that if you know someone else who started a business, you are way more likely to start one yourself. And then last but not least, they are more likely to believe that they lack the skills and knowledge necessary to start those businesses. So those are the five main barriers we found. And we decided to come up with three groups of solutions and initiatives to try to address them. Because one of the things we were really keen on is that this wasn't one of those reports that we admire, we read, and we stick on a shelf. And we say, thank you very much, everyone. We did a good piece of work. See you tomorrow. And one of the things we wanted to do is what are the things we can do that's actionable, that is at scale, that we can do quickly. So we had three areas that we looked at. First is access to finance, very much as I said. We have uh, three initiatives in there. The first one is what we call our Investing in Women Code. And that's where HMT has created a code where we have nine banks signed up, 22 signatories overall. And the nine banks signed up have agreed that we will um, appoint a senior person uh, to look after it. We will disclose data because if you measure it, then you can change it. Certainly in this country, the, the large banks fund and finance quite a lot of small businesses. So by doing that, we are disclosing how much our women-led businesses. Uh, as well, we have also agreed that we would share best practices and adopt. And that was really important because we wanted to make sure that we, um, this is a non-competitive sport. This is such a big issue, 250 billion quid is a lot of money, more than the GDP of many small countries. And if we don't work together to do the best practices, share them, and to amplify them, then we'll never get anywhere. Well, especially in, you know, we even did a report last fall where it said there's, we don't call it a talent shortage, talent famine. Since mm -hmm. there aren't enough people doing the right things, the rising tide is, is all about. Absolutely. So we're doing that. We're also looking at the VC side, which you mentioned earlier today. So less than 1% of VC funding goes to female entrepreneurs in the UK. An appalling, horrific stat. I think it's consistent with the US and some other places too. Well, the US is double. It's at 2%. <laughs> well, bully for that, but it's still low. It is still horrible. So we do, We have set up a council to look at that, led by someone called Alex Daly, who's founder of AID advisors, and also a lot of industry bodies and, and big players in the asset management space. Then in the second category, we talk about family care and how do we support entrepreneurs through that. And what we decided to do is we did a lot of research around family care and how banks were supporting them. The research pretty much showed that as far as entrepreneurs were concerned, they are more likely to try to hide the fact that they have family care incidents from the bank than come out and, and show them. So what we did is in October, we launched um, at NatWest a series of family first products, which are if you have a family care event and you're an existing customer with us, we will either waive a fee or give you a capital repayment holiday as a gesture. To say that, hey, you know, we know this doesn't solve all your problems. This isn't going to solve your sales problem, your operations issues. But here's a little gesture from us. Certainly recognizes it's not a negative, like a credit risk. Exactly. Although there was a lot of credit discussions as part of this. But as you can imagine, but it, it's trying to flip that dialogue. How do we change that dialogue to make sure? I use the phrase reframe. Exactly. Absolutely. And, and to say that actually when you have that issue, you can come to the bank and ask for help and support. Just like you would come to us, we need help to buy a house. 
or, or other things, you know, this is, we're here to help you support you as a business. Um, and then last but not least is all about accessibility. So how do we increase access to mentorship networks, uh, expertise? So what we've also done is we've seconded as NetWest 38, um, well, more than 38 now, actually, what we call financial experts in residence, where the, our own bank staff spend one day a week now in the local growth hubs at the local enterprise partnerships by the government to support small businesses. So we're starting pilots with other types of experts like digital tech expertise as well. We've also formed the Education Coalition, looking at secondary education in particular, in partnership with the Department for Business, Energy, Industrial Strategy, and the Department for Education, and also 12 other big organizations across the UK who focus on enterprise education across the UK. And, uh, and we're looking at how we can fix that problem. And then last but not least, we're also looking at a digital first-stop shop, a new front door to give more accessibility to information for small businesses, both male and female, actually, in order to find what they need. Because what's out there right now is quite fragmented and difficult to navigate for any small business. And if you can consolidate that, then that's, that's a great way for people coming to you as a uh, trusted advisor. So we hope. Awesome. People hear this and say, oh, this is great. feels good. What are the popular misconceptions people have out there about either profitability or it's hard to do? Or what, what do people get wrong about this? I think it's probably what I was saying at the very start. This isn't a CSR initiative. And, and that's a common thing that I hear over and over. I think a lot of people will say things like, oh, well, I don't want to invest in just female businesses or just male businesses. I just want to invest in good businesses. Well, then the question is, then why is 99% of your business of your investment into just male-led businesses. And I think that's something where you need to take a cold, hard look to see where the unconscious bias is. I remember listening to, there was a psychologist who was speaking once, and I loved how she put it. She says, we have two modes in our brain. We have the, the bit that kind of operates like a pigeon in Trafalgar Square, where it just kind of like bops around. <laughs> And it goes on autopilot, right? It's just bopping around and going looking for food or something. And then, and then you have the other one that's harder, the one where you're focused on harder tasks. When you're like writing a difficult email or, or doing other things like learning how to a new language or anything like that. And what we need to know is that too much of what we do turns into autopilot. And that's where all this bias, et cetera, comes in. And then making a conscious effort to retrain and rewire our brains a little bit to think a little bit differently. And we all know that diverse portfolios are, are, are better at making lots more money. So <laughs> actually, there is a need for that. Great. Well, on a personal note, I hear that you're a professional cook in your spare time. <laughs> Can you relate what you like about cooking to what you're cooking up on your, your day job? Oh, absolutely. So I am a builder at heart, I think. I've always been into crafts and, uh, and those kind of things. Something about seeing something tangible, <laughs> I think, in front of you. And, and let me tell you, I think, it's, I think it's important for people to focus and spend more time on the things you love. There's no point, uh, I personally think, on spending time on things that you absolutely abhor. Uh, otherwise, life is way too short to make so painful. And one of the things I absolutely love is cooking. You know, I absolutely love it. And nothing makes me feel better um, or makes me feel happier than standing over a stove, like stirring that stew or that soup or whatever it is I'm cooking, and then seeing the happy faces of my happy customers afterwards. Uh, and I think a lot of people always ask me, like, why do you do this? You know, you're, you spend so much time on these things, and it's so physical. You know, your nails get broken, all these kinds of things, you know. And, and it's just like, it's because I get such immense joy out of it. 
You're making you're, you're making something. You're making something. You're making something. You're feeding you're people. Something of yourself to someone else. <laughs> exactly. Energizing. And, and, and to me, it's a bit of a, 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 of a legacy as well, you know. And in my day job, I guess, it's exactly the same thing. I am building something new, a new ecosystem, a new way of supporting female entrepreneurship and, and giving them that little bit of life in order for them to grow and succeed and to go on. Just like a happy customer with a full belly. <laughs> Hopefully, someone will be able to get access to the resource, information, support, or funding that they need when they walk away. Wow. Well, this has been great food for thought. <laughs> uh, I know you're respecting your time. Probably want to wrap it up. A couple, another personal question. Who or what's been a major influence on, on your life and, and how? Um, I'm going to talk about two things, if that's okay. Um, so one major influence in my life was always my mother. Uh, absolutely, 100%. I think she was an immigrant in the U.S. You know, my parents were born and raised in Burma, um, came to the U.S. When they got to the U.S., they, they thought it was magical. There was running water. <laughs> there was meat and food everywhere um, versus the scarcity of life that they faced um, in, in very poor circumstances. And one thing she always taught me was, you know, uh, as long as you work hard, as long as you're willing to do, to work, you will always find it. You will always find something to do. You always find work. You will always be um, successful um, as long as you're willing. And, and, and as long as maybe you're not in the poorest part of Burma where there is no opportunity, I think was just what she was saying. Um, and, and then probably um, the second, uh, and my mother gave me all my recipes, etc. She's inspiring. She's always taught me. And I think she's the one that I always knew would have my back. So, so because of that, I think I have this tremendous ability to feel like I can do anything. And <laughs> that was instilled in me from a young age. Um, and the second person I want to name is someone called Esma Khan, who's the chef and founder of a restaurant called Darjeeling Express. And I remember I met her when she was um, cooking biryani at her supper clubs and fell in love with her rice. And I knew that this rice needed to go elsewhere. Like, um, there was no question in my mind. And we became really dear friends. And, and I was really proud and excited when that was, was able to fund her opening of a restaurant, her very first restaurant. She now runs an all-female kitchen, all filled with women who are in their second innings, second daughters from different backgrounds. Most of them were nannies and housewives <laughs> before they entered her restaurant. And she was the first British chef on Netflix's Chef's Table. Her, her restaurant has been a tremendous success uh, and knowing that by giving her that little bit, that little boost to help her start that restaurant so she could become her own and flower and become such a mega superstar that I think she is right now, that um, is what fills my heart with hope that we need to create as many of these and give opportunities to as many of these entrepreneurs, these female entrepreneurs, to grow into their own and to become the superstars that they all are as well. Wow, and thanks for, for, for helping them realize their dreams of potential. Absolutely. How can people find you online? Oh, loads. I am very active. Please find me on LinkedIn, Wincy Wong. I'm super active there, and also my Twitter handle is at Wincy Wong. And if you're interested in just looking at pictures of food, because literally that is all I do on Instagram, then also find me at Wincy Wong. Great. And, and everyone, you can find details on our show notes and transcripts at emphasis.com slash IKI, I-N-F-O-S-Y-S dot com forward slash IKI in our podcast section. Wincy, thank you very much for your time and a very, very interesting discussion. Thank you very much. Everyone, you've been listening to the Knowledge Institute. 
the Abbey Road sessions where we talk with thought leaders about achieving resilience in the era of stakeholder capitalism. Thanks to our producer, Yulia Dabari, and the entire Knowledge Institute team. Until next time, keep learning and keep sharing.